Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio, a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. My guest today is host of That UFO Podcast, Andy McGrillen. Andy is a podcaster, Scottish by birth, and currently lives in the northeast part of England with his wife and two children. Aside from being a podcaster, father, and husband, Andy also has a lifelong interest in UFOs and he's interviewed many well-known members of the UFO community. Andy and I met on Twitter, of course. Even though we live on different continents, the internet being the most powerful communication medium ever has made it possible to connect with people all around the world. When I discovered that UFO podcast, I reached out to him because of my own fascination with UFOs. After several texts, I figured there's certainly enough Cold War-related UFO incidents worth diving into on this show, and I invited him on to discuss some of these events. This episode will focus on UFOs and aliens, and for listeners who tune in to hear about the Cold War, don't run away just yet. The Cold War era had many UFO sightings and alien encounters. In fact, the UFO phenomena actually became popular during the Cold War. To start, the Roswell incident, which occurred in 1947, involved the crash landing of an unidentified craft in the New Mexico desert near the town of Roswell. That incident was preceded by another very well-known sighting just a few days earlier by pilot Kenneth Arnold, who witnessed nine saucer-shaped craft flying at unimaginable speeds in the skies of southern Washington between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. It was this encounter that resulted in the term flying saucers. These are only two of the UFO events recorded during the Cold War era. And if you're still not convinced that this subject is interesting, stick around to the end for a bonus segment. And I'll share a case that'll leave you wondering what these things are and why they're here. Finally, I'd like to mention that I really enjoy Andy's podcast. He takes a very professional approach to his interviews, while at the same time maintains an easy and laid-back atmosphere but doesn't shy away from getting into sensitive areas and asking hard questions that elicit interesting responses from his guests. For these reasons, I've invited Andy McGrillen to be my guest and discuss UFOs and the military on this episode of Dead Hand Radio. Thanks for joining me on Dead Hand Radio today. How you doing? I'm very well, man. Thank you for asking. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. So um, hello to all the listeners and hi to yourself. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And a pleasure to have you here. Appreciate you coming on and joining me for this. It's going to be an interesting talk. Um, you know, my podcast is focused on uh, the Cold War. And I never really thought about it incorporating even though i have a huge interest in the ufo phenomena never thought about incorporating it into the uh you know the mix of what i talk about until i saw your podcast and i realized there was so much ufo activity during the cold war era that it's a it's an area that would fit right into what we're what i'm doing here at uh, dead end radio yeah Absolutely. Before, during, and after, as you know, we're going to discuss anyway. But yeah, it's um, 
think there's a lot of really interesting things between the say Cold War is not my expertise, whether it's the former USSR or whether it's Russia or whatever it was called and in, in between the US and even other kind of superpowers like China. It's, it's a topic that's always there in the background amongst everything else that kind of hits the mainstream media. So yeah, there, there's definitely a lot to talk about, yeah. For sure. So with that in mind, could we start at the beginning with your story and tell me a little bit about how you got interested in the topic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was pretty young, I was always interested in, in mysteries. And uh, I mean, look, from, from very young, like um, ancient Egypt and how the pyramids were built, I, I particularly was interested being Scottish myself um, and things like the Loch Ness Monster as a, as a very early mystery. I had a lot of books and videos on that. So I think just naturally I kind of progressed as time went on to, to getting on to the topic of UFOs, aliens, ETs. Um, more recently, it's called UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. But back when I was particularly young, I must have been about um, nine or ten. Um, actually, let me go even earlier than that. When I was uh, six, seven years old, um, my dad one night, uh, we were leaving my grand's house. And um, just near where we stay, there's a kind of high-rise tower block of apartments or flats, but apartments for kind of US listeners, I'm guessing. Um, and he saw what was a kind of light hovering next to the, the flat quite high up, so a couple of hundred feet in the air. And he decided, I remember it kind of quite vividly, but he, he followed this light for what would be about 15 or 20 miles, kind of driving through a relatively built up city, but at night time, uh, and it just kind of disappeared and he lost it. And I can still recount that story with him now. Um, my dad's only in his early 50s, you know, so he remembers it really well. So that was my kind of first kind of sighting or seeing a kind of UFO that I remember, but I just remember seeing a small light in the sky. A couple of years after that, um, I had a, probably the, the, the clearest one I've ever seen, and it's, it's a kind of weird story to tell because... It, it seems a kind of thing that should have been maybe, you know, bigger news given the incident and how many people saw it and whatnot and where it was. But it's, it's just one of those things that, that did happen. Um, so me, my mum, my sister and uh, a friend and his mother, again, it was nighttime, um, same kind of area um, in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, we left a, a kind of local community centre. I was at the BB, which is Boys Brigade, I think. And it would, we get the scouts in the UK, but it would be a, like a scouts type group. Um, and looking along this road, that's about a, a couple of miles long, but we were towards the end of it. There was what looked like a, a Ferris wheel, um, big wheel on its side, maybe tilted at a 20 or 30 degree angle but rotating incredibly fast. But this, this thing would have been just hovering above the ground about a mile away from us. Um, we couldn't maybe see the bottom of it, but we could see the kind of top two thirds. And like I say, it looked like a huge kind of Ferris wheel, maybe um, 70, 80 feet. Um, again, it's just going for the judging by the houses. And this thing was spinning incredibly fast. And I remember kind of looking along and being young and into that kind of into ufos and aliens and whatnot I, you know kind of pointed this out to my mum and you know wow look at that and i just remember them not being particularly phased or particularly interested even though this is something you, if you looked at now you'd be like oh my god that's you know it's clearly some kind of you'd call it a ufo for not saying there was aliens on board but you know it was definitely something um and I remember we, we walked home that night and that was the kind of last week we heard about it. And there was nothing along there that evening. And like I say, if you wanted to think it was some kind of fair that was going on, there was nothing planned. There was nothing advertised. And this thing was tilted at an angle and spinning at a speed that would have killed you had you been 
riding in a kind of fair ground ride. Um, so that's that's still something now that if I ask my mum about, she remembers. But she's very much uh, not really a believer in aliens, UFOs, you know, flying saucers, whatever you want to call them, and um, whatever they might be. But that I think it's a really good kind of story and indication of how a lot of people saw that in that small group with me that night but none of them talk about it none of them are particularly interested in what happened and it just goes to show there's a lot of these incidents happen all over the world all the time and you would say that surely more people would have seen that and more people would have spoken about it but there's an incident that's pretty incredible looking back on it but wasn't in the papers wasn't on the news and how often does that happen it just it just kind of goes away so and that was long before the the days of smartphones and whatnot so we're talking the kind of mid 90s at that point um so yeah so growing up i'd seen a few kind of things like that um ufos and kind of lights in the sky and whatnot never been abducted would never claim to be never saw something so close that i could describe in great detail you know hieroglyphics on the side of it anything like that um, but I've certainly had enough encounters that's, that's kept me kind of going through to my now mid-30s that I've, I've started my own podcast on it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty fascinating topic all around, but that was how I kind of got started in it. First incident, you say you were probably about six and you were driving with your with your dad? Yeah, my mum, dad, sister, um, and me were all in the car, yeah. So your dad saw the, the object as well? Or, or you said your dad was following the object, right? Yeah, he he's seen it uh, sitting at kind of, as I say, a couple of hundred feet in the air. Again, it's a kind of tower block of apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is long before we even had anything like drones. And this would have been like the, the very, very early 90s. Um, and he, he noticed quite, you know, solid light hovering in the sky. And it started moving. So he, he followed it for a bit of a distance. Yeah. Okay. So my, my questions are more focused on what uh what your reaction was what did you think it was how did you feel at the time that you saw this thing so feelings wise i'd probably be better answering that for the second incident because i was really young with the first one so it really is just a memory that i saw it and i know my dad drove after it in the night sky um so I think I was maybe too young to appreciate the the whole episode and incident, and it was something I kind of forgot about till till years later when it was brought back up that my dad done that one night and kind of drove after a a UFO. Um, so being aware of unusual phenomena like Loch Ness monster and stuff like that, you had an idea that there were things in this world that are not easily explained. And when you saw that, did you equate that to something that was kind of like the Loch Ness Monster that yeah, was not easily explained, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I was always really open-minded with things like that when I was younger. My, I get that from my, my grandmother um, on my mum's side, my mother's side. Uh, she always used to tell me stories about, you know, aliens and mysteries and, you know, um, Egyptology she was interested in and Loch Ness Monster. And I just think naturally something in my personality kind of latched on to the whole mysterious world type side of things and i've always had that interest um i I remember even in the very early days of pcs that um again kind of mid 90s you had the encyclopedia britannica i don't know if you had that in the us but basically a collection of cd roms that was basically like a a big encyclopedia and i used to just look up things like pyramids ufos aliens you know other planets and yeah that that was my kind of interest growing up it just it's just kind of just stuck with me all the way through my life Interesting. And then, uh, so moving forward, 
you said it was a couple years later or were you in your teens when you saw the second incident or the, um, the second I, sighting? I was a, yeah, that would have been about probably um, four, five, six years later, um, mid to later 90s. I, w- I wasn't in my teens yet. I was probably about 10 years old when I saw the second one. But I, I see, I recall that really, really clearly and vividly. Have you ever tried to draw that object out? Yeah, yeah, I can draw it, yeah. So you said you were with several people who didn't even acknowledge it or they didn't think much of it? Yeah, um, my mum, and I, I can still speak to my mum now about it and ask her, do you not remember? And she'll just say, yeah, it was it was interesting. But for her, it's the, the step to then think that it could be something. And, and listen, on, the, on this topic and subject, and we'll no doubt get into this, like I'm not saying that every unidentified craft in the sky has got um, aliens from some faraway galaxy inside of it. I've got no doubt there are I, there are a large number of them that can be explained away. I've got no doubt that anything that I do think is a bit more fantastic that comes from elsewhere is not ours, not US, not Russian, not Chinese, um, not terrestrial, um, is not even necessarily from another planet. I think even in more recent years, there's been a lot of credence to the idea of multidimensional or interdimensional alternative universes that these things could come from. And UFOs for me more recently, that the topic has opened up that it's no longer just about um, another planet's race or beings have developed a technology where they come from that planet to our planet to say hello. I think there's a lot more to the whole phenomenon in general, and it's no longer just one explanation. Um, so I think a lot of people, that's that's a huge thing for a lot of people to to take that kind of leap and step in. Um, I mean, from a religious perspective, and I'm I'm not religious in the slightest, but I can appreciate people have those beliefs. You know, people can believe in a, a god and a being that sits in the clouds, or they have another realm, or you know, potentially there was there was um, this godson two thousand twenty years ago performed these incredible miracles, but they then can't take a leap to think that there are intelligent beings on another planet that are more advanced than us and coming here or from somewhere else. So it's, it's just I get why people have that block up, but for those that don't, I think it's a subject that's increasingly more mainstream um, as the days go by at the moment rather than in the past where it's been in the months and years. Obviously you shared with your your mother and was it friends that you had with you or relatives, other relatives? Yeah, my sister, my mum, my friend and his mother. Okay. So what were you what did you think it was? Um, at that point I would have said uh, a UFO. And when I say UFO that could be anything but Genuinely, again, at that age, and even looking back now, that's some type of craft that's not from here. So being in the 90s, the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind had obviously been out for decades before that incident. Had you ever seen that movie? Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. Was anything in that movie anywhere close to what you saw? Yep. Um, So... Again, if you look at that type of craft, and what I'll even do is I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm no artist by any means. Um, I, I make no apologies for how bad I am at drawing. Um, I, I can draw a very crude version of what I saw, and I'll, I'll post it on my Twitter for you or, or send you a copy, and you can at least put that on for people to have a little bit of a, um, an idea of kind of what I was looking at and what I was seeing. But yeah, thinking Close Encounters, you've got the idea of a, a typical kind of saucer-shaped craft um, that rather than being kind of uh, horizontal, which is in the movie, would be and nowhere near as big either. Uh, it would have been much flatter and spinning at an angle. So that I think when I say like Ferris wheel, it really was that type of, if you can imagine a, a Ferris wheel, like a carnival or a fair, 
slightly tilted 20 or 30 degrees but obviously without the seats and the frame and spinning at an incredible speed you know like washing machine you know when you're watching a washing machine go round and round and it's got that centrifugal force it had an incredible speed to it that the lights were just flying round. interesting man so and you have that image seared in your brain probably pretty clearly you could probably see it just as clear today as you could yep. when you were that at, at the age of 10 right right now absolutely and I, i'm by no means uh, it sounds incredible of course they, they always do and the whole notion of the subject is incredible in itself but that further along where that thing was would have been on uh, again i'll use the word soccer being from the uk i would say football but it would have been on a, a soccer field um that kids would play on not like a professional team on a really quite built up um c- civilian area civilian is probably not the word but there was a lot of houses in the states and there was a main road right on it so this this thing would have been pretty close to the ground and i literally mean 10 15 feet from the ground given where i was at so it was pretty much you know touching the earth um which again is incredible that no one else saw reported and i'm sure they did see it but just you know never spoke about it Hmm. yeah that's so interesting man so what uh what did you, what actions did you take after you saw that? Uh, I mean, is it something that you just filed away for future reference or did you try to find out what it was? I know being at the age of 10, there's not a lot you can do, but still that driving curiosity. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked that because on the back of what I kind of said there, you know, any kind of follow up, um, I looked to see, was there anything on that evening um, because like I say, it's a recreational sports venue. Was there something on that night that could have explained something was there, but there wasn't anything. The place was shut. It was after kind of closing time, let's say eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Um, so there was, there was nothing that would have been on that field that looked anything like that or, you know, other than some kids potentially playing football. But, um, yeah, there was, there was not really any internet at that point to speak of. So how how do you report it? So I can even see like someone like my mum who was you know an 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 adult. Um, where would she go? What I mean would you, would you phone the police and then what would you say? I saw a, a spinning object on a on a soccer field. Um, does someone want to go and look? So I get why people would be like, oh, they see something, but then where where do you go with it? I didn't know about uh, places like Mufon, um, or or any kind of way of reporting that. So yeah, it was one of those things like you literally, you see it, you experience it and you go on and go home and go to bed and wake up the next day and go to school. Did you tell all your friends at school about it or did you keep it to yourself? Um, I remember talking to the the boy who was with, with me who saw it that night, but again, very much he wasn't particularly interested and it was more of a shrug of the shoulder thing for them. So I think it's very much something to do with personality types and that the UFO topic even to now is, is something that most people tend to laugh at and scoff at. And like I say, I can totally appreciate the subject of your podcast being the Cold War was a really serious, intense time. But this subject, if you take the time to look at it objectively and get the little green men image out of your head from other planets then there's a lot of really um, interest in science and data and you know military incidents it's based on and it's as a pretty serious subject so i can get how at that age no it's just something i kind of kept to myself you know and even now i'm very careful who i talk to um, and my, my group of friends about this kind of stuff i've got a lot of people who don't know that i do a podcast on on ufos 
<laughs> for that very reason. How long did that incident last, do you think? Uh, a couple of minutes, literally, in the the time it would take for you to, to cross a relatively small um, two-lane stretch of road. Um, it would have been 20 seconds before it was out of view, but I remember we stood for about maybe a minute looking at it, but how long do you stand and look at it? And I absolutely, if you could take me back to that now, I would have stood and waited till it left. That's what I, I was going to ask you next. Yeah, if, if you had a camera phone, you would have been filming it nowadays. Um, you know, back then it was shoulder-mounted camcorders and video recorders, which we did not have. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of those things that you look back and go, there's so many things I wish I had done that, yeah, it just, it just wasn't possible or, you know, at the time. So you, you guys saw it, looked at it for a couple minutes at the most and then left? Yeah, carried, carried on home, got on with our lives, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you have any more uh, uh, sightings like that as you were growing up? So of that kind of magnitude, um, not I had one about nine months ago that I'll talk about, but in, in the preceding time, I've always, just given how interested I am in the topic, I walk my dog at night literally with my neck up in the air looking <laughs> at the sky just to try and catch a glimpse or something. I've got like, you know, um, I've got apps on my phone that show me what kind of stars are where. I know when something's a planet. Um, I've got a really good idea now when the space station comes over the UK because I get Twitter alerts to tell me it's coming over. Um, more recently, Elon Musk's Starlink satellite train um, is pretty incredible. And to, the, to, to someone who didn't know, you would absolutely scream UFO. But these these things come over and go a kind of... Um, is it geocentric orbit around the Earth? So they move in a kind of steady pattern. So what you're really looking is something moving either at an incredible speed, but also then potentially turning, which satellites don't turn. Um, so about nine months ago, I was driving home from work. Um, I live in an area which is quite near an airport, so bear that in mind. Um, so I, I kind of know what planes look like in the sky, especially low altitudes. Um, was driving about five minutes from where I live. And again, it was pretty busy. It was probably around 6 p.m. in the evening, dark night, just not long before Christmas. And um, lots of cars on the road. But on the one of the final turns towards where I stay, turned a corner and saw two lights in the sky that looked like a, a, a kind of aircraft kind of approaching not far, let's say, from the airport. Um, but as I drove a bit further along the road, two lights were still in pretty much the same spot. And you would have expected, the, you know, I'm driving forward. The aircraft would have been coming forward. And then before I knew it, I looked to the left-hand side of the road and a white van had pulled over and I could see the driver looking out and looking up at the lights. And then basically, you know, it happens very quickly and it was just me driving in the car myself, drove under these two lights. And as I looked up through the, you know, the kind of went my front windshield, I don't have a sunroof on the car I've got. Um, you could see on the darkness of the night sky that there was a triangle in the sky and the two lights were at the point of what would be the back of the triangle. And without having those lights for a frame of reference, you wouldn't have seen this thing sitting in the night sky. It would have been a couple of hundred feet off the ground because there's a tree line. Um, so in my head, being, you know, into like a UFO buff, a fanboy for aliens, all that kind of stuff, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, that's that's incredible. So I'm, I'm now driving along though a pretty busy road at 60 miles an hour, which I'm not sure what that goes to in kilometers, maybe 80, 90 kilometers an hour road. So I had to be kind of wary where I was driving and where I was looking. Um, I turned into some random person's kind of farmhouse uh, to then look along and double back and drive back along towards it. They came out their home and kind of asked, are you okay? Given some random guys just pulled up on their driveway. 
and I was trying to, you know, ignore them, but also look along back at the road, and I could see this object still hovering above the trees. Just it was mainly the two lights, but you could just make out there was a, a solid structure to it, and it was still just sitting. And I remember saying to this kind of older gentleman, "I'm I, yeah, sorry, I'm just turning my car around. I'm looking back along at that." And he looked and kind of bent his neck and went, "Oh yeah, that's what what is that?" And I went, "It, it looks like a black triangle sitting in the sky." And he, he just laughed with him and his wife, and he just said to me, "Oh yeah, it just shows you there's there's other things out there in this world, isn't there?" And he went back into his house and said goodnight. So very British, you know. Um, so I reversed back out onto this road, which is, again, really busy road. Started driving along, but literally as I was reversing out, I could see it moved over the tree top, uh, tree tops diagonally. And on the front of where the triangle would be, another light came on that was just flashing very quickly and intermittently. And it moved diagonally over the tree tops. I, I sort of lost sight of it at that point. And by the time I got back along to a very open expanse of fields where I would have been able to see it, it wasn't there anymore. And that was about um, eight or nine months ago. So I couldn't film it because I was driving and my phone wasn't easily accessible. I did phone my wife at the time and give her a running commentary of what I was seeing, um, which is no real evidence, but she kind of got the the shock in my voice and me kind of talking through it and whatnot. So, so that was my most recent one, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty incredible sighting as well. Uh, do you think that was military? So yeah, potentially. Um, it was. It was sitting, and again, even though you're in the car and my windows are up, you can still hear. If that was an aircraft that low down, they would make some kind of noise. And there's, there's something. It was sitting so still in the night sky that without those two lights being on, you wouldn't have known it was there. And even then, I imagine a lot of people drove past it. Um, and it was only driving underneath it you could sort of make out the triangle structure to it. So I, I've got no doubt that the that that could have been a military vehicle of, of some kind. Yeah. Do you think that you are targeted by these objects for some reason? No, um, I do think there's something to certain types of people and how kind of willing you are to maybe a personality trait or something in your subconscious or in your mind or. But I think there's also a lot to the fact that given my interest in the subject, like I say, when I walk my dog, the amount of times I walk into garden fences or branches or bushes because I'm not looking down mm-hmm. at, at my dog or the path, you know, and it's a dark evening and I'm looking up at the sky and that it kind of messes with your eyes. Um, if, you, if you're looking up, you, you'll see things. And I just think it's something that people kind of lose sight of now because I think everyone's looking down at mobile phones, particularly these days. So who is looking up, you, you don't know what's flying over your head. You don't see it. Um, I'm sure there are people out there that are targeted. I, I personally, I would never say no. I, I, I haven't been. Um, I just think that I've got an open mind. I am always on the lookout and maybe I've, I've, been, I've been lucky. I'm pretty level-headed and I get how this sounds to a lot of people, the whole subject in general, which is I think how it comes across on my podcast, that I'm very objective and I'm more than happy to say something as a balloon, a kite, a flock of seagulls. But when there's certain data that goes along with certain sightings or pieces of evidence, then, you know, unequivocally, unequivocally, there's, there's something else going on out there. So, yeah, more than happy to answer anything, to be honest. I would definitely not targeted, but I just think if people have an open mind and, you know, have a look up at the night sky, especially when it's clear, you'll, you'll see some interesting things now and again. Cool. The, the reason I ask is because that's, you know, multiple sightings by the same witness which is totally credible, totally believable. I, I don't doubt that. And then yeah, you got me who is 
equally interested, maybe not as enthusiastic about it, but equally interested as you. I've never seen anything, anything like that in the sky. Not, not saying I doubt what you're saying. I totally believe that the phenomena is real. I just have never witnessed it. And I'm like, why? Why have I? I look up at the sky. I, I woke up this morning, like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, walked outside and stood outside for like 5, 10 minutes looking up at the sky. Of course, I live in Las Vegas. The sky, the night sky is almost like sunset because the city's so bright. The light pollution, yeah. Yeah, you can't even really see all the stars in the sky. Um, So if there was something out there, I probably wouldn't be able to see it anyway because, like you said, the light pollution. I'm kind of lucky where I live now that I've always kind of grown up in cities and, yeah, um, I wouldn't say I live in a really um, rural area. There's a lot of maybe fields round about, but more and more those are getting built on with houses. Um, it's it's, a, it's relatively busy where I stay, but I've always been a bit of a city boy, totally the opposite to my wife. So anything I've seen prior to seven years ago would have been in, in Glasgow and Scotland in a really busy part of the city. Um, I, I totally appreciate your point, though, that there's people who would say, yeah, oh, I'd love to see something. And do you know what? I, every night I go out, you know, not even 99 times out of 100, but even more than that, I look up into the night sky every night when it's clear and don't see anything. Or I see something that I just put down to, it's probably a satellite. I've seen, you see a lot of shooting stars. Like, I know people that say to me, I've never seen a shooting star. I've seen loads, but again, if you walk about with your head in the kind of, literally with your head in the clouds almost, you're you're going to see some stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd phenomena that who does see something and who doesn't. And again, I, I don't know if it's something you talk about later on, but there's a lot of, um, on the CE5 movement, um, where Dr. Stephen Greer, for anyone who's familiar with the name, is someone who has got a documentary out. I'm not particularly keen on the character of Mr. Greer and what he tries to put across. And there's, I don't appreciate maybe an aspect that he tries to sell a lot of things and he charges for an app. But his whole idea is that you can contact alien ET civilizations um, through a very basic kind of meditation almost. And that's me giving a really basic description of it. It's not something I've tried, but again, that might be something that's worth people looking into because from what I hear from people, it's relatively successful. That is something new to me that I've only heard. I've heard of the CE5 thing and never seen the movie, but the uh, the communication with these objects, that's new to me. Yeah. So again, never something I've experienced or when I've had any of those kind of, of incidents um, or not, they're not encounters, you know, kind of sightings, I suppose. I've never had that notion to speak or, um, again, a lot of them were when I was younger. Um, yeah, it, I don't doubt there's something to it. It seems there is. I know CE5, although it's something that maybe right now is being monetized and Stephen Greer is kind of at the forefront of that movement, um, it's not a new concept and it's something that's been around for a long time. It's something you go back to um, Native Americans, you know, indigenous tribes have practiced this their whole life and you can still read that they have a, a spirituality and you'll know this better being in the US than me but um, Native American Indian tribes whatever you call them have a spirituality in their culture that they've never lost whereas a more modern people or civilization as we've kind of moved on have went more technologically driven and that's something again that it's, it's based in that that you know it's everything's connected and there's like there's more to it, the whole phenomena uh, with a, a huge involvement with consciousness as well. 
So again, I don't practice any type of meditation. Being a kind of angry Scotsman, maybe it's something I should. Um, I'm really, I've got an interest in remote viewing. I've never practiced it. I've tried it myself. But again, it's something I'm looking to get a remote viewer on my own podcast soon to speak to them. Some really fascinating um, aspects of remote viewing. Something your listeners who may, uh, may be interested in, if they've seen the film, The Men Who Stare at Goats, it was originally a book. I don't know if you've heard of that one, Andrew. I did, yeah. I, I saw the yeah. movie, read the book. I thought the movie was, uh, it kind of made a mockery of the whole concept. I didn't really appreciate the yeah. movie as much. It was funny. It was a funny movie. It just didn't, it didn't take the topic seriously, in my opinion. And no, and, and to be fair, most, most don't. Uh, and I think that's it with, with the book and the idea that this is based on a true story. The U.S. military had psychic spies and um, there's plenty of documentaries um, called the third eye on amazon's a really good one as well that looks into this so the u.s military themselves put a lot of money and time into looking at what's well, this a viable way um to have kind of psychic warfare and there was a lot of really interesting results off the back of it as well so remote remote viewing is a pretty interesting subject fascinating topic oh uh, yeah that's something that i would definitely like to spend a whole hour or more talking about but have you ever undergone hypnotic regression or ever thought about undergoing hypnotic regression to see if there was more to the events that you witnessed? No, um, mainly because I don't, I don't think there was. Um, I, I remember them pretty clearly, uh, particularly the ones when I was younger, not to say that I've not heard other people have, you know, had missing time and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, as boring an answer as it might be, no. I've never been hypnotized even on holiday or, you know, in, in, in kind of any kind of comedy setting either. So, yeah. Yeah. Hyp hypnosis is another interesting topic. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very controversial, uh, I think method for retrieving memories, but I think mm -hmm. there, are, I think there are cases where it's useful. And uh, the only reason I asked you that is like you said, you know, were you missing time? Was there more to the incident that you maybe didn't remember? But if, if that's, you know, that's not the case, then I don't think it would be even necessary. I hope that lends a, lot, a little bit of credence to my story as well for anyone who might be listening, that it would be very easy of me to say that, oh yeah, I was missing time and make it up, but it really was as, as exceptional or as, as uninteresting as you want to make it that this very small moment in time happened and then you do just go on with your life and, you know, within hours you're you're in bed, and next morning I was at school, and life just goes on. So, so yeah, there was there was nothing more either side of of those incidents that you know I would elaborate on. For me personally, it's it's such a the way I look at it when somebody tells a story like what you told. The way I look at it is that is such an incredible story, and so unbelievable that why would you make something like that up and put yourself in a position to be ridiculed and made fun of, you know, who would do that? Why would you, why would anybody want to do that? I don't get it. So uh, yeah, I, anybody tells me something like that. My first reaction to that is I believe their story. Now through a little bit of cross, you know, questioning, if they trip up, if their story doesn't hold weight, then I'm going to get a little bit more skeptical and maybe call them out on it. Your case, I don't see any of that. I, you sound very, very believable, very credible. And you know, I appreciate you sharing your story. You, well, I actually, I haven't heard you recount your, 
your story on your podcast at all until this is the first time I've heard your story. Um, you're, yeah, you're, I've, I've, I've not shared it on my podcast. Yeah, your podcast is uh, is interesting in that you you bring on some very credible, very serious guests. If you had the chance to interview anyone on your podcast or even in person, uh, alive or dead, who would that be and what would you ask them? Um, so if you were asking me for on the podcast, it's probably the same answer anyway, but what I would ask them on the podcast is probably different to what I would ask them in person, given the, the circumstance, what I would like to ask them and what I could ask them. Um, so Louise Elizondo um, right now is someone who since um, mid-December 2017, if you're involved in any of the UFO community, um, or even if you're in the US, he's, he's been on a lot of, of a lot of news shows like Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever you whatever you probably watch, he's been on it talking about it. But um, Luis Elizondo, I don't know. Do you want me to give a little bit of his background so people? No, not not yet. We'll get into no, that when okay. we talk about to the stars. Sure. Um, so Lou Elizondo, definitely. Um, and for me, I, I'd love to. I'd love to just get inside his head for five minutes. And you know, there's a guy who's had some of the highest security clearances and still does in the United States government and he knows I don't think he knows everything I don't think there's anyone on the planet that could 100% tell you what the phenomenon is but I do think he is in the top three or four people that if someone could come out and give a presentation to the human race on what we know he would be one of the only people that would be qualified to do that Hmm. so what specific question would you ask him i think the first thing i'd have to ask and it's a, it's a really blunt question but what is the phenomenon and then following that up with you know where are they from you know i think there's there's multiple aspects to it i think there's interdimensional multi-dimensional um i think some of these things that we're seeing in the skies and the water are you know uh, probes i don't think they're manned necessarily um there's a lot of evidence that some of the the crafts that seem to crash are potentially um manned by clones you know there's there's a lot to it and i think he's someone that knows this and when he speaks he's he's incredibly intelligent and incredibly eloquent having a intelligence background and he speaks very carefully so i think on the podcast you would get an answer that was a really long and eloquent answer but not particularly tell you anything but he would still have you every step of the way but if you could give me that five minutes where you know, you had Will Smith and Men in Black in the background standing ready to wipe your memory after you'd asked you the question. I would love to just say to him, tell me what's going on. You know, tell, tell me what's happening. Tell me what you know. And even if you didn't have a chance to, or if he refused to answer that question, he would still be an awesome guest to have on. He would be incredible, yeah. I think he could speak for hours. And I've watched him do presentations on YouTube for three and a half, four hours. Um, and... He, within them he, he says so much but gives away so little yeah um which i think is just the nature of the topic i think i could spend an hour talking to that guy about it anything not it, it, uh, and not even get to the topic of ufos he just has so much experience yeah he's, he's military backgrounds quite incredible yeah mr elizondo if you're listening or if somebody out there listening knows him get back to andy and go on that UFO podcast because he's a good interviewer and he's got some great questions. He's ready to ask you. 
or I'd make sure I make sure I did. I think that's one I have to take a week off my my day job for, and make <laughs> for sure, sure I was very well, very well prepared for. Definitely. Uh, do you have a favorite book uh, on the topic of UFOs, or is there a book you'd recommend for somebody who's new to the topic? Do you know what? I, I don't think that book's been written yet. Um, I think there's a lot of different areas and just the way I approach the subject and kind of following it kind of almost all my life that there's a lot of different incidents. And I think the best thing to, to kind of do is is kind of just start to look at some of the bigger events. Um, of course, in the US, you've got Roswell, which is documented, you know, in movies. It's doc, And you could even go and start with that. Um but in the UK, you've got Rendlesham Forest, which is like our Roswell, and Nick Pope, who used to work for the Ministry of Defence in the UK, wrote a book with two of the witnesses from the US military, um, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. Um, they witnessed in the 80s in the UK lights and a landed craft in the middle of a, a US uh, military installation within the UK, rumoured to have nuclear weapons, and I've got to stress that's a rumour. Um, but there's a, a book... Um, on Ross, uh, sorry, on Rendlesham, written by Nick Pope and those two that came out a couple of years ago, which again is is the definitive book on the encounter. Um, so again, for me, it would be picking a picking a, an event and just researching it that way and finding like a really credible book with, with someone like that. Again, I think if if you go military as a background, you've always got a, an extra level of credibility added onto that. Definitely, yeah, I agree. Good suggestion. Uh, now, aside from books and movies and pop culture. Uh, I mean, obviously the UFO phenomenon has been around forever, but what other approach can somebody take to try to research or, or find out more about the phenomenon? So you're probably lucky it's in 2020, we've got a lot more, a lot more mediums than, than just kind of TV and, um, and books to the Stars Academy that we're going to get to talking to have just um, released their own podcasts. So that is a huge organization and entity within the UFO and intelligence. And now they've got US government contracts as well that have a three-part series introducing you to some of the main players and what they're looking to do and some of the technologies they're looking to employ. So podcasts are a good way to do it. I'm probably biased as well as you would be that we've got our own podcasts as, Definitely. Um, as, as new as mine kind of is. Like you've said, I tried to bring on some really credible guests and I love hearing the really fantastic stories within the whole idea of aliens, ETs, UFOs. But some of them I'll listen to and in my own mind know that I don't quite believe they're true. But I'm happy to hear the story, but that's just from my own entertainment point of view. But what I really love to hear are the the really credible guests. Again, military backgrounds, people who whose stories have stood the test of time. Um so there's, there's a lot of really great podcasts out there. Um, and right now, an area that I hadn't really looked into until, honestly, the last couple of months and with some of the guests I got on, some incredibly hardworking and underpaid investigative journalists. So people like Lieutenant Tim McMillan, who you can find on Twitter. He's got his own blog. Um, he's a retired police officer, now investigative journalist based out of Germany. And he's wrote some incredible pieces for Popular Mechanics and Vice. Um, he has regular contact with people at the Pentagon for his research. MJ Benayas, again, um, some great journalism, some great pieces on the subject. And he's not scared and to, to call out something he doesn't believe is true. And there's some, there's some aspects of different stories that, that I, 
I believe in that I would say they've, they've got weight to them that in speaking with him as a guest objectively he has broken down and told me why he doesn't think they're true so again I'm, I'm more than happy to hear everyone's side of the story but there's a lot of really good investigative journalists out there and if you don't mind me indulging there's um, Joe Mergia, um who is UFO Joe on Twitter has just today um, released a four-part blog breaking down the Admiral Wilson documents. That's not something I'm going to go into detail on because I've not read them myself yet either. But there are, there are documents that potentially in the coming days and weeks could be a part of a very big breaking story in the New York Times that might be coming out. And there's a lot of rumours that that is about to kick off in a big way. And again, that would be documented high-ranking, currently serving military officials within the United States government and Air Force admitting there are ET craft retrieved and bodies and technology being reverse-engineered. That's rumoured to be kind of coming out hopefully in the next few weeks. But um, Joe Mergia has written some incredible pieces on that that are out today, and I would encourage people to to kind of go and look these up as well. So investigative journalists are doing some really great work on the topic in a very serious way as well. And that's uh, that's what's really, to me refreshing and uh, kind of eye-opening actually because 10 years ago it, there weren't many people doing it you know in, in serious investigative journalism uh, 20 years ago you had uh, well 25 almost 30 years ago you had George Knapp and he was really a pioneer he was one of the mm -hmm. few people that was willing to go out on a limb stake yeah. his credibility in his career on uh, bringing a story to the public and he did it in a way that I think that he has maintained a level of, um, a level of credibility and professionalism to this day. And I appreciate his, his the work that he's done Absolutely. Uh, so much. So yeah, for, for all, all the people that you mentioned are people that I already follow and I recommend anybody out there listening who's interested in the topic, follow those people as well as George Knapp. And um, I'm sure there will be more people coming out of the, out of the shadows to, to uh, get on this topic because as it heats up and more and more incidents are starting to come to the, the, the light as it were, uh, you're going to see more people interested in the topic and, and starting to, do some serious investigative work on the topic as well. Yeah. What, what do you think is the, um, is the catalyst for these, uh, the, the increase in the, in the frequency and the intensity of these incidents? It seems like the last 10, not even 10 years, maybe five years, it seems like things are really starting to, to increase and heat up in the whole, in the whole uh, field of ufology. So I think there's maybe a few things come into play then. If, if you're particularly looking at the last three years, two of the Stars Academy's work um, and what they have done regarding some of the people they've got involved in the company, which we're going to talk about, um, has been huge. Um, again, the last three to five years, there's been massive leaps in technology. Again, you know, everyone's got a camera phone. It seems that anyone filming a UFO can't hold it still, um, still, which is frustrating. But again, maybe there's technological aspects of that at play. Um, I think 
uh, as people like Elon Musk start to venture into space and commercial flights into space. This is just a personal opinion, but I believe once you start putting the general public, and I get no one from the general public can afford a ticket on a flight into orbit yet, but once you start putting basketball players and movie stars and journalists and celebrities in space, they're going to see things. They're not astronauts at an NDA, you know, um, and won't talk about that kind of stuff. I think once you start doing that and traveling back and forward, things are going to open up anyway. I think it's just natural that things are progressing in a way that whether people are ready to hear it or not are ready to discuss it, that the conversation kind of has to be had. Um, and it's 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 being drip-fed. For some of us involved in the topic, it's being drip-fed and it's, you know, maybe frustratingly slow, but that's kind of the way I think it has to happen, to be honest, for the mainstream to to accept maybe what's what's coming. Yeah, and that's more for, like you said, for the mainstream media, for people in leadership positions uh, to be able to get comfortable with that topic coming out to the public. I don't think it's really intended to protect the public from this information because I think the public is waiting and ready to hear this information. Yeah, I think you could get 100 abductees to get together in some kind of group and lobby, I suppose from a US point of view, lobby Congress and say, you know, we've had these experiences that they're incredibly volatile or, you know, that they violate our privacy and, you know, whatnot in our lives and affect us massively psychologically. And that will get laughed at uh, on largely on a, on, a, on a big scale. However, if you get one individual who has a US military background who comes out with data that shows there are some kind of phenomena incursion, incursion, sorry, encroaching on US airspace with impunity and making uh, a country with a trillion dollar defense budget look amateur, that gets people's attention. And that's what's happening just now that the, the right people's attention is being grabbed. And that's why there's briefings going on just now in the, the halls of Congress. And of course, just a few nights ago, uh, President Trump and his son <laughs> sat down for a father-son interview. And regardless of the nature of it and maybe the content, it's not very often you hear sitting presidents talking about potential aliens, UFOs, you know, incidents on, on television like that. So regardless of anyone's opinion on, on that president specifically, it was refreshing to see that happen. The thing that struck me about his response, the question was, um, what are aliens, basically? And his, uh, his response was, I'm not going to tell you my, what I know about that subject, but it's very interesting. To me, that says way more than any other president in history has said about that topic, because every one of them has been asked. Yep. For him to say, I'm not going to tell you what I know, that means he knows something. It's very interesting. I believe him that it is interesting. And there's there's more to it. Yeah, the, the nature of his answer, I think, as well, given, I think, worldwide, everyone knows Donald Trump's mannerisms and his, uh, his characteristics. And he is not shy to speak on any topic, regardless of his level of knowledge on it. But he has a certain character and almost you know it almost like he puts on a certain character when he talks about certain things that's almost got a comedic value to it but he seemed to answer this really quite seriously yeah. when he could have poo-pooed it and um 
his body language was maybe something that we've not seen too much from him in the past. And just to link back to what I was saying about potential stories breaking within the New York Times rumoured in the next couple of weeks, there's a lot of talk that Donald Trump's response was in relation to the fact that the sitting president wants to get ahead of any potential breaking story because you don't want potentially big military-based news to come out and have the sitting president not know anything about it. And that's why he's made that comment where he has, which is which is intriguing itself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, and he prefaced the, the his answer by saying it, it sounds like a cute question, meaning, you know, it, it could be laughed at, but it's not, meaning it's a serious topic and he, he's answering it in a serious way. So he's, he takes that topic serious. And that's a different answer than he had a couple of years ago when he was asked that same question. A few years ago, yeah. his answer was simply, I've, I've heard a lot of stories and I've seen the video, but I don't believe it, I don't believe it in UFOs. You know, and that basically is a non-answer. But what he said the other night, very telling. Uh, now, and as far as what you've been alluding to, there's one more question I want to get to before we jump headfirst into the, to the stars sure. uh, question. And basically that has to go back to, to your podcast. The, um, the people, the guests you've had on your show, all of them very interesting guests, very credible people, very serious people and who take that topic seriously mm-hmm. out of those, out of those guests. Um, and the stories, the answers that they've given you, what is your favorite story or answer that you've gotten from any of your guests? Um, I'll give you a frustrating answer to start with, and then my, my answer afterwards will probably follow nicely into what you're going to talk about anyway. Um, <clears throat> I won't name the guest, but the, the conversations I've had with my guests when I've stopped recording have probably been as interesting, if not more interesting than some of the content I've had with them on the show. Um, and one of the guests in particular, I spent nearly two hours speaking to after the show. And some of the things I talked about with them were, were pretty incredible. And that's, that's no doubt things that will come to light down the line. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't divulge that, but I would say that the first two guests that I got on, um, that I know that sounds terrible. Look, uh, yeah, it's at the end of the day, I'm just a guy sitting behind a microphone talking here, right? That's not me dropping in, like, oh, you know, he knows stuff, but it, it could have been nonsense. But you know, just from the background to these people and, and whatnot, um, some some pretty cool things that we discussed. But um, the, the first two guests I had, Gary Voorhees and Sean Cahill, um, you can talk to on about the, the level of guest I've had on. I, I'll say from the outset, I don't know why these people speak to me. Um, I'm a proper fanboy that it wasn't even two months ago. Um, I hadn't even had it got a name from a podcast and I had seen these people in interviews, listened to them on interviews, watched them on TV and documentaries. And I literally sent an email asking Gary Voorhees, would they want to come on? So ha- Gary Voorhees and Sean Cahill both have military backgrounds and they were heavily involved in the, at the incidents that two of the stars famously brought to light. Um, so the their story, I think, is one. Yeah, yeah, the Nimitz, and they were both based on the USS Princeton at the time. Um, it's known as the Nimitz incident because that was the ship that the David Fravor's jet, I believe, took off, and but 
Gary Voorhees was the radar operator for the Spy One radar system for those with a kind of military interest. I don't have a great military knowledge at all, so I probably sound like I know what I'm talking about by saying that. Um, but Gary Voorhees basically picked up these contacts on radar and was told by the you know his commanding officer, strip the machines out, take it down, put it back up. There must be something wrong with the system. He knew full well there was nothing wrong with the system. Put it back on, and if anything, the traces and the tracks got clearer. Um, they were told then just to monitor and carry on. So, you know, I, like like my own incidents and sightings, you know, shrug of the shoulders, just let's carry on. And Sean Cahill was the chief petty, chief petty officer on board the ship, which he tells me is basically the lawmaker. Um, and he, again, saw these saw these things with his, his, um, his own eyes. So that's something that kind of was kind of life-changing experiences for them. Um, didn't just happen in one go. It happened over a series of days. And in 2017, To The Stars Academy brought that to light. So hearing their stories recounted kind of firsthand with, like you said yourself as well, Andrew, these guys have a lot to lose by giving, giving their version of stories. They don't make money off of this. They are decorated, um, you know, soldiers, former pilots, you know, radar operators, the people now coming out. And I think that's what I love about the stories is here's some really serious people that have no reason to tell you this other than they think people should know. Yeah, uh, so I agree with you. That's a that's an interesting story, and that does lead us right into the to the Stars Academy uh, topic. I think that their contribution to the topic of UFOs has been the most significant contribution, possibly since Roswell, maybe in history. I think the story is still evolving, and I don't think I think to the stars have basically opened the door for the conversation. I don't think they've opened it fully yet, and I think they're going to in the near future. Um, and they've got a strategy to do that that we'll no doubt discuss through this. But they have, if Roswell kicked the door open and then very quickly the door hit the wall and slammed shut again, they have cracked open the door, but they've also stuck their foot in the door and said, no, we're not shutting it this time. Uh, and I think they're very slowly pushing their way into the room, if people can appreciate that analogy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think when it's all said and done, um, Roswell will be a footnote in the history of ufology and to the Stars Academy and what Tom DeLong and co have done will be what's kind of taken us forward and a, a very different conversation. And I'm openly admit I'm a massive fanboy when it comes to to the Stars Academy and what they've done is ufology and the UFO community, whatever you want to call it, for, what, 70 years up until 2017, only had the same cases to talk about. And, you know, it was very rare anything big ever happened. And with time, almost everyone involved in Roswell has, has passed away. Um, you know, Rendlesham is now 40 years this December, the anniversary. These these people are now retired, older, you know. Um, things do get skewed with time, regardless of how good your memory is. You know, people start making money off of things. And again, that can change stories. But rather than delving back into the same cases in the past and the history, regardless of what true, what's true, what's not true, what's got lost in the kind of fabric of time, what we do now have is very up-to-date cases. What we've got is the military in the US. I mean, if someone had said to you three years ago that the US Department of Defense and the US Navy would come out and say, here are three videos that show unidentified craft that we do not know what they are, you would have laughed that that just wasn't possible, yet that happened this year. Both those admissions, and it's just, maybe it's the whole, you know, COVID-19 thing, that where 
can 2020 get any worse with each, each passing month? It just seems to be, okay, what's next? Basically, the, the US government, in a sense, admitted this year, and I'm not going to use the word aliens, that there are unidentified craft performing incredible maneuvers that we don't know what they are in our airspace. Here's the videos. And it's just went sort of unnoticed. Again, hide, hide it in plain sight, you know, when everything else is going crazy round about you. Why not basically admit there's UFOs out there? And I think a, a big part of that, the fact that it was kind of just brushed aside because of all the, everything else that's going on, but I think a big part of it was exactly what you uh, experienced in your, in your incident when you were a child. The people around you looked at exactly the same thing you did, and the reaction was, oh, yeah, that's interesting, but I got a whole life I got to live and I got way too much to, to concern myself with than to worry about something like that. Now, I, th- I think that's the attitude of the general public. Yeah. And for that reason, the military could easily come out and, well, I don't know if they could easily do that, but if, if they did release, well, and I have to step back for a second because there's, there's a lot more to it than um, just letting the public know that these things exist. Mm-hmm. There, there are potential security breaches that yeah. would reveal capabilities of the U S military. If they came out and said that, you know, th- this is an incident that uh, took place and this is the response to that incident. And this is the results of that response. If they did that, then our enemies would know exactly what we know, how we respond to it, and what the outcome of that incident was. So they can't just come out and say everything that they know about UFOs and the entire phenomenon. And that's what people don't understand, but people are frustrated about it. Um, but even if they did that, if they weren't worried about what our our enemies would learn from the re- revelation of this the 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 population is going to look at it and people like you and me are going to be like cool we finally know you know the answer is clear no question about it the majority of people are going to be like yeah but that doesn't pay my bills that doesn't Mm -hmm. put food on the table you know how am i going to get to work tomorrow those kind of things are way more important to the average person and they're not really worried about this ufo phenomena yeah, I think there's an aspect as well of, and this is something TTSA do with how they approach the subject and how they're getting it into the mainstream consciousness and how they've managed to secure government contracts as part of what they do, which shows how serious they are, that you've got a United States which has a, a trillion dollar defense budget and there is something in the sky, whether it is, I mean, let, let's just say it's Russian, that they cannot defend against, then what are you spending a trillion dollars on? Because you're you then become obsolete, don't you? So forget the alien point of view. So if it's Russian, Chinese, you know, Malaysian, Indian, you know, whatever it might be from, uh, it's it's indefensible. It makes your, your fighter jets look like, you know, toy cars. So so what's the point? Your nuclear weapons don't work. They can turn them on and off. So you've, you've got a people of 300 million US citizens who who are no longer being protected by their government spending that kind of money. And then you've also got the question of if the government come out and I honestly don't think they know fully what it is at all. I think that's something that's becoming more and more clear, um, especially with the government being so compartmentalized that 
your government comes out and says, look, here's here's what we do know. Okay, why didn't you tell us that before? Yeah, but, you know, security, what security? You should have told us. There's then cover-ups and like you say, it goes into the realms of, yeah, but we didn't, we couldn't tell you this because that would show we had this capability and we couldn't show you this part of a video because it would then show you that we can record and, you know, this sort of data and there's a lot of things that it opens up a can of worms with and I think that'll happen naturally eventually anyway but just the the defense aspect of it if you can't defend against this that's pretty worrying for a lot of people yes agreed uh and as far as these things being I don't think I've asked you specifically the question what do you think these things are but before I do I'm I'm going to ask you that but um I'm going to say first number 1 I'm 99% sure that they're not Russian because I don't think the Russian, the Russian government has the budget to be able to develop this kind of technology. If, if anybody had it, it would be the Chinese, but the Chinese don't even match our capabilities in conventional weapons, let alone nuclear or what do you call this exotic I guess that would be called exotic technology. Okay. Uh, so I don't think it's the Chinese. I'm, I'm about 95% sure it's not the Chinese. Nobody else. I mean, the Japanese have a, have, have a pretty large uh, gross national product, but their money is not going into war fighting. It's uh, it goes into their economy. You know, that's why they have one of the strongest economies in the world. So if you go down the list of, of the, the largest economies in the world, and I found this out the other day, Russia is number 11 in the, in the um, top economies of the world. They're not even in the top 10. Okay. So if you look at, because you're not going to be able to develop this kind of technology without the budget. Um, if it's anything, it's U.S. technology developed by a breakaway group within the military. And if that's the case, now there was a, a really interesting show um, that was, uh, it was called The Black Files. Did you see that? No, not in the UK, unless it was okay. a different name. But That is an excellent show and you should check it out. But he basically makes a pretty strong case that it could be uh, U.S. military technology, mm -hmm. but there's not definitive evidence to prove it. I don't want to get into all that. But um, all that said, all that in mind, what do you think these things are? Just before I answer that then, what I would say to it being anyone else's technology, and as you say, if it was going to be anyone's, it more than likely would be like U.S., is at what point did they jump so far ahead that it's no longer a generational leap, but it would be a leap of technology thousands of years in advance? You know, what happened that they were able to do that? And then why bother investing the money they do in an F-18 fighter jet when that is now, you know, obsolete with one of these? Why have a thousand of those? And um, again, like nuclear weapons no longer make a difference. So all, all that kind of stuff would just be, but there's arguments for and against that. Um, honestly, uh, and I, I think with with the topic, my 
understanding and what I think it is has changed and evolved over the last couple of years. And I think there's multiple aspects to it. If you're asking me, do I think it's aliens coming from another planet? I would say that's that's one aspect of it that does happen yet. I think some of these things, given the forms that you hear of, um, are probes. I don't think they would be manned. Um, and one of the one of the pilots' testimony, and again, this is the and most of your listeners, I'm guessing, are US based, and you've got a very um, deep respect and rich history with your military and a connection with them. Your own pilot uh, around five years ago reported a sphere inside a cube flew alongside his fighter jet, buzzed him, and flew away. That's testimony on the record from United States military. It looked like, you know, one of those glowing, um, you know, uh, what do you call them? You know, you put your hand on it and the electricity kind of touches your fingers and stuff and yeah. basically this huge ball of energy inside like of a, a cube. I think it's called a Tesla ball. Yeah, yeah. Like something like that, but with the kind of a lot more filled, flew alongside his craft and flew away. That's totally different to your flying saucers that potentially are patrolling the skies. And then we've got the the tic tac which is bombing along performing incredible maneuvers so so just to kind of answer it briefly i think there's there's an et aspect to it i think there are beings traveling from potentially different dimensions uh, that we can't see and they kind of come in and out and that's where things like frequency and consciousness have got a lot to do with it um and i think there's potentially an aspect of it that are some of these uh entities based on this planet and just very, very highly evolved, and we don't know they're here. I mean, we don't know what's in most of the oceans, so you don't know that these things don't man the oceans or, you know, I think there's a lot to it that's not just one thing, and I think different entities have different agendas as well. Now, there's one theory that uh, I, I particularly, I have a little bit of a, a problem getting my mind around it. Even though I'm a spiritual person, I believe in God and you know, that's has nothing to do with this, but mm-hmm. the 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 theory that these things are angels and demons, or and more more specifically demons. Um, mm-hmm. there are people in the US government yeah. that have blocked the investigation of these things because they believe that they're demons. This is this is not speculation, this is not theory, this is actual testimony from people mm-hmm. in Congress that have said that we've tried to, we've tried to investigate these things in the past. It was blocked. The funding for the investigations was blocked because people that had the, had the vote were afraid that these things were demons. And if we start, uh, start looking into it, that bad things are going to happen. Regarding the religious aspect of it, I, I totally appreciate anyone who has a religion or a belief or, um, for for me, I think most religions, the, the basis are whatever the the background of some of these entities are. You know, um, whichever god people believe in, or I, I'm not religious at all myself. For me, it seems much more realistic that something put us on this planet, um, and when they have interfered with our civilization throughout the kind of thousands of years, whether it was Egyptian times before that, after that. Um, you've got you've got drawings on cave walls of kind of UFOs. You've got chariots, Eric von Daniken, you know, famously chariots of the gods and Egyptians drawing things in the sky, and then celebrating all these different types of gods that would come down. Then for me, it would make sense that 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 is the type of kind of, kind of gods people have been worshiping throughout the kind of millennia. Um, 
so bringing it up to modern day, yeah, there's there's an aspect of people that, particularly as you say, it's it's, it's no it's it's down as, as testimony. I think um, Luis Elizondo himself was on record, and if I'm wrong about that, I'd apologise to Mister Elizondo myself, but um, I'm I'm sure he's commented on the same thing that people within Congress, because of the nature of this, they believe it is is angels and demons that they don't want to discuss it, push it further, then. Yeah, if you're going to you're going to talk about one, then you, you really have to have an open mind about the other, and that's that's where sometimes for me anyone with a religious background who won't open up and talk about the possibility of other life or other technologies and whatnot is I, I find that hard to break down myself. That why can you why can you believe this when your proof is a book? Um, there's not a hundred thousand videos online of of God, um, and you know potential sightings. Whereas we do have evidence of, you know, on mass, yeah, there's not a UFO landed on the White House lawn. Um, but what we do have is a lot of evidence and a volume of evidence that points towards there being something. And it wouldn't surprise me if something, um, if you've listened to the To The Stars Academy podcasts, Tom DeLong mentioned that in filtering and they're looking to bring in, I know you're going to ask me about um, the, the Scout app, but they're, they're looking at using artificial intelligence as a technology to try and predict patterns that when these things may or may not appear or why they appear when they do. Like, you know, you talked about not being able to see anything. Well, maybe it's it's been the wrong time, the wrong place, you know, the wrong weather for all we know. Um, and he talked about also putting religious texts through an artificial intelligence to try and find patterns within that as well to see if there's anything that would come out the other end and, and link into, you know, there being a kind of commonality between them. So it's, it's probably frustrating for me more than anything that there's people within particularly the United States government who could really push this forward that because of those kind of beliefs are kind of holding it back potentially. True. I, I agree. That's a good point. Um, and, and all I would say to those people is that if it is what you think it is, then there's, let us, let, let the people that have the ability to prove it, do that, prove it or disprove it. But, you know, this, this phenomena has to be investigated, has to be understood, and you can't do that without looking into it. I just want to make the point, since you've asked, just to make it fair on both sides that this isn't me having a goat religion, that's people's own personal preference. However, I think there's a lot of people who are religious, but also a lot of people within the UFO community that potentially wouldn't want this to be proven to be whatever it's going to be, hmm. because a lot of people make a lot of money spinning certain stories and that includes the ufo community as well certain tales you know certain abilities that potentially if and when you know let's just for talking sake another alien race came down and said here we are here's what we can do here's here's how it actually works that's going to show up a lot of people to be wrong and then all of a sudden a lot of people disappear very quickly you know because their books were just there to make money their experiences never happened their religions weren't correct, you know, whatever you want to say. it's It changes a lot, not just from a religious point of view, but there's a lot of people in the UFO, UFO community that don't like To The Stars Academy. And I think a lot of that is because it doesn't fit their narrative. Yeah. Well, that's partly true. And I think uh, I think another part of it is that they're, I, as petty as this sounds, a lot of people just want to be right. They want to be first. They want to be right. And they get jealous. You know, they see to the stars Academy came out of nowhere 
And people make fun of Tom DeLong because he's a rock star. But that dude is a brilliant person. He, he's a very smart individual. He wouldn't have been able to get this off the ground if he wasn't. And, um, and they take that for granted. They, they beat him down within the community. That's what frustrates me. I'm like, I, I don't get it. You know, give the guy some credit for what he's been able to accomplish. Granted, he's not a, done it by himself. He's had a lot of help to get, to get there, but he wouldn't have been in the position to be able to facilitate this happening if he wasn't the person that he is. But, but as far as the, the people in Congress that hold the purse strings that believe these uh, entities are demons and too dangerous to investigate that in itself should be reason for us to find out what they are. If they're dangerous, that tells you right there that we need to know what they are and how to deal with them. Absolutely. And that's where someone like Luis Elizondo and his background working with the United States government and, and the program that basically studied these, you know, ATIP um, or OSAP, um, whichever name it was known under, has came at this from a point of view that a lot of people in the UFO community haven't liked, but his narrative has been that these things could be a threat, but he breaks down the definition of a threat because, you know, if, if, if these thing, if these craft can do what they can do and our defense is no defense against them, then surely that is some kind of threat. If these vehicles can come into our simulated combat areas and zones and basically fly around us you know literally run rings around us again is that not some kind of threat and it's not to say that they are necessarily attacking or going to attack but you don't know what you don't know so that there is a threat aspect to it if these things are a threat then there's there's a case there to be answered for from a united states perspective you know because if they're running rings around F-18 fighter pilots and they're performing these incredible maneuvers, it seems they've got some kind of intuition as to, and um, they talked about some of the designated plot points they would have in simulated combat scenarios when they're doing training exercises off the coast of uh, San Diego. I believe it's San Diego, yeah. San um, Diego is the Nimitz encounter. Yeah. So again, there was a, a designated plot point, random out at sea in the air where the the these uh, sorry, where the F-18s would meet once they had done their simulation, simulated like yeah, kind of um, fight. And this craft not only buzzed them, but then appeared at this point, which they are saying there is no way this should or should have or could have known where this point was. So again, if these things can access databases and information, you know, they're, they're showing an intent that you, you have to kind of label it as a threat. If it decides it wants to be dangerous, we can't stop it. That, that in itself is a threat. Uh, and it has to be dealt with. We have to figure out a way to track these things continuously, like, you know, like we do with our adversaries. Um, I think we intercepted another uh, Russian bomber that was flying over Alaska last week. You know, and that seems to be happening more and more. It seems like Russia keeps sending bombers, uh, you know, off course or whatever, inadvertently coming up, flying into uh, U.S. air airspace, and our fighters have to go escort their bombers back uh, back out of uh, the U.S. airspace. 
but we have the, the, the means to track those threats mm-hmm. and, you know, respond to them and deter the threats before they become a threatening situation. That's what we need to be able to do with these, with these unidentified objects. If your, if your adversary has a gun and you don't have any protection against that gun, you're basically relying on their goodwill not to use it against you. Yeah, I think that what you look at though in a positive sense is definitely that these things, while this might be worrying, can fly over a nuclear base and turn off the weapons and well they've turned them on and turned them off. Yeah. They're making they're making the point that yeah, do you necessarily have to? Because we we could do this and you could see that as a threat, but if they can do that, then it's almost like, yeah, you, what what's the point? And maybe they're trying to make the point that you don't have to worry about this because Again, it's like in a kitchen, you know, a fly might buzz about and annoy you and you'd, you'd flap your hands at it. And yeah, you could probably smash the fly to bits, but you could also just leave it alone and let it do what it's trying to do, you know. Um, the fly doesn't know you're trying to hurt it. And potentially it opens up a whole new way of thinking that maybe, like you mentioned before, if, if these things are potentially have capabilities or agendas that we can't even comprehend, they might they more than likely going to be evolved past the point of that. But then, like I say, I believe there's different entities with different agendas. Maybe some aren't so friendly. Maybe some are. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're just not worth our time at the minute. Now, there's, there's one area about TTSA that I wanted to touch on because well, we talked a little bit about people um, bad-mouthing TTSA, Tom DeLong in particular. Even Lou Elizondo came under quite a bit of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's been redeemed because of, uh, what the, uh, what the Pentagon has come out and said, but, uh, a lot of critics still haven't been disproven on their, uh, their claims that to the stars Academy is nothing more than a big cash grab. They're just trying to infiltrate the UFO community, try to grab up as much, of that money within the community as they can and then skip out, leaving everybody scratching their head going, what, what happened? What do you say to those critics that, um, that believe that that's their agenda? I start off by saying that Tom DeLong through his uh, rock career and other ventures before this has a net worth of $80 million. Is it worth him getting involved with high-ranking military officials who, again, would have banked balances into the millions of dollars to go after a few million dollars that would be split between them um, in an area that's not got a lot of money in it? There, there is not a lot of money in ufology and UFOs and many of the people involved that, that do sell the books and whatnot. Um, it's a very, very small minority that do make any kind of living off the back of it. I mean, I, I certainly don't in my podcast very much as a hobby. and um, but yeah, again, why would someone with that kind of money, they, they can make money in so many other ways. Like a Luis Elizondo was in a very comfortable job in the United States um, military and could have gone any kind of number of ways within those departments as well. Chris Mellon is a former, um, and I want to get his title correct, former United States Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and then later for Security and Information Operations. I don't think someone like that, and he also has a very um, wealthy family background, I believe, as well. I don't think these these people need to be going after that UFO money, because there are certainly a lot more areas out there where they can make a lot more money than that. 
And listen, if you if you just look at Tom DeLong's social media post, whenever he posts about To The Stars Academy and um, a, a, any kind of UFO commentary, or sorry, UAP commentary, he will get 2,000 replies. 1,900 of those first replies will be guys and girls who are fans of his music asking when he's rejoining Blink-182 or when Angels and Airwaves, which are his current band that he still tours and releases music under, are releasing a new album or new track or just that they love him. So he still gets that. So there is a lot more money there. He could release solo albums, just join Blink-182 again, keep touring as he's doing now anyway and making millions of dollars still off his music rather than this very small community which he's got himself involved in that he's always had an interest in that he's never had in that um so yeah for me there's there's no question they're not in it for the money yeah and me either that's just a that's a question that i wanted to put out there for you to respond to those critics because you have no skin in that game you're not defending ttsa because you're part of the company you're basically pointing out that this is logical that these guys have more um, more interest in this topic than making some money out of it. And listen, don't get me wrong, I, I will happily put on the record um, on your podcast just now, if TTSA and Tom DeLong want to hire me for Two of the Stars Academy, I will take some of that TTSA money and I will happily do their podcast for them. So, um, yeah, just in case that ever happens in future and I get called a hypocrite. Excellent. Yeah. Well, if if anybody from TTSA actually listens to this, drop me a tweet and let me know, man. You know, that would <laughs> that would just be a huge honor to be able to to know that people will listen to the show. Um. So, let's see. Next question about TTSA: Do you think that they're doing enough to remain relevant to this conversation? Absolutely. I would say they're, well, they've been sort of quiet for, for some time. They had their their amazing do, uh, documentary series, um, the un, uh, sorry, Unidentified on History Channel um, last year. That was an incredible six-part series. They've just confirmed in the last 24 hours that Series 2 will be airing on History on the 11th of July in the United States. Um, again, with a focus on individual cases, credible witness testimony and also a study of metamaterials. They have a, a project called the Adam Project, which is basically studying exotic material that they believe could be from could be from things such as down craft or um a few different areas to be honest. Uh but yeah, that's something they've had for a couple of years now that um it should all come together in this second series. So it's probably interesting time in the presidents of the United States has just mentioned Roswell. Um, and, and talked and kind of touched on aliens a couple of weeks before this second season comes out. At the same time, there's rumoured to be a, a further New York Times article as well. And at the same time, the again, I'll encourage people to read up on the Admiral, Admiral Wilson documents that are kind of circulating at the minute as well. So there's, there's a lot going on, and it just seems to be each time it's a little more, it's a little more, it's a little more. So it'd be really cool to see kind of what's next for them. Definitely. Definitely. Well, that answers my final question about TTSA, the, the, what are they going to do next? And I think you laid it out pretty succinctly right there. So yeah, they are relevant and they might go silent, you know, or media dark, whatever you, you want to call it. They, they're not constantly in the public eye, but that doesn't mean they're not working and doing what needs to be done behind the scenes 
so that they can continue to bring this information out to the public. And I would encourage anyone like Chris. Chris Mellon is very active on Twitter. He joined a few months ago. Again, there's someone, you know, worked extremely high up in, in the levels of the U.S. government. Luis Elizondo isn't, and he isn't much of a, although he's a public figure, really, and kind of head honcho, most people see, of To The Stars Academy. O only talks and interviews when he has to, and he's incredible to listen to, and Tom DeLong's very vocal on social media. So some of the, the key players are more and more um, vocal, and again, the podcast just came out, so they can't be criticised um, from many areas, I don't think, for for being quiet what i think people get frustrated at is it's been almost three years since those first three videos got the md classified and released and people just by now i think thought that we would be um sailing on anti-gravity crafts to other planets and meeting alien races which was never going to happen right yeah i mean people are allowed to dream you know they have a right to dream absolutely and nothing says that that can't possibly be possible in the future, but we got to figure out what these things are first and how they travel to and from our reality. And if we can do that, I think that's going to push us forward. Like you said, multiple generations. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, as when we first talked about uh, doing the podcast, uh, we agreed to putting it out there for anybody who wanted to ask questions to, to submit their questions. And I actually had a few people send me in their questions. So awesome. if, if you're open to that, let me, uh, let me hit you with those questions. Go for it. So first I have Ben at uh, Ben or at B to the fourth power on Twitter. He asks, what do you think of the Kecksburg bell incident? Do you know what that is? Yes, I do. Um, so, honestly, I I think it's one of those incidents that I would, I'm not saying there's nothing to it, but you could very very easily explain it away as more than likely being just some kind of meteor, meteor, meteorite hitting the earth um, in the area. Uh, I know there's been, been books written about it, a few. There's a documentary as well on Amazon Prime that I've not seen myself. Um, personally, for me, not a whole lot to go off of if something did happen, but that's not to say something didn't. So sorry if that answer is a bit short and underwhelming. And I know I can talk. Uh, so yeah. it's a it, there. There are some interesting aspects to it. Uh, one theory, one strong theory, is that it is a downed satellite. Uh, yeah, and that's probably one of the strongest theories. But one of the more esoteric theories that's out there is that it's related to the Nazi de Glocka, which is supposedly a time machine that the Nazis built during World War II. That's a fascinating possibility, but I really don't, I don't have a lot to go on to speak to that. So, do you know, that that's, yeah. So the, the Nazi side of like UFOs is, is fascinating to me. And, um, when you start to look at some things like Operation Paperclip, bringing over those Nazi scientists and some of the things they were working on and uh, in place of, you know, not being jailed for war crime and, you know, sharing their knowledge and abilities, the Nazis were involved in some incredible things. Um, and no doubt we've only touched the surface of what they were involved in. 
that's a that, that's um, a whole different rabbit hole there which oh yeah like even like i mean it's another show for another time but exactly like, at, what the nazis done in antarctica and why they were out there is for me is really interesting um i, I know something i only found about really recently which is sort of related to the kind of the nazis and whatnot is um the, the t forces was something nick pope talked about on his um basement office show with stephen greenwald um so the I don't know. Do you know much about the T forces? I haven't even heard of it. No, you mentioned it to me once before and I haven't had a chance to even look at it. What is it? So I found out about them last month. So essentially when the, they stormed and I hope I don't get this too wrong, but when they stormed the, you know, France and Normandy on the landings, when the the US and the British and, you know, whoever else are involved, the T forces came behind that first wave of soldiers that, that took the beach and the T forces' only job was to go in and recover as much Nazi technology as they could, mm. as the forces stormed through Europe. So um, there, there's apparently I've not looked into it a lot myself yet. Say only haven't found out about it last month. But any of your listeners with a really strong, keen interest in military history might want to look at the T forces as something because apparently they they recovered some really cool things, and that was their job not to fight but go in on the back of those waves of people. Um, who had given up their lives or, you know, kind of managed to get past those first defences and just kind of get what they could. Um, so, yeah, I think then that, that science and technology was really, really interesting. For um, sure, yeah. There's a lot there, for sure. Uh, so the next question comes from Phantom Dark Dave at Dave underscore Phantom on Twitter. He asks, what is your favorite alien or UFO-related horror or science fiction film? So my, my clear favourite, but I've got another one I'll give an honourable mention to. Uh, my clear favourite is Independence Day. I love the first one. Good movie. Because it's got, you know, as much as it can, it's got a really cool sense of realism about how something like that might go down and how satellites were used against us and they positioned themselves over different cities, you know, and like we kind of talked about with impunity, just done what they done. Yeah. Um, I hated the sequel. Yeah, I was so excited for the sequel. And that we was we won't even talk about it. The sequel doesn't exist, oh, period. <laughs> you know what? I'm almost, um, I've got this kind of sick, you know, thirst to see the third one because it was meant to be a trilogy, but the second one obviously being so bad, they scrapped the third one. Um, so, yeah, but the first one's incredible. Um, and the, the, the second film that I really like for its proper hyper realism would be um m night Shyamalan's signs oh good movie we, uh, yeah i like that movie yeah it's i love how they tease you know not really seeing much and then you see like the ufo footage and i love the first time you see the that it's like the kids party in brazil and the, they're watching it on tv and the alien just walked yeah. past yeah. but it's really freaky. grainy and fuzzy and yeah proper freaky like yeah. I, I really i really enjoyed that i, I like the build up and attention in that as well yeah, and that's when M. M. Night could make good movies. I think he's he's kind of lost a little bit of his touch when it comes to making movies. Although he, he has his he has his moments. Yeah, he he, he comes and goes. He definitely comes and goes. Uh, so, and if if I'm allowed to answer that question, I have actually two movies as well. Uh, first, an alien movie, alien related movie, and that is Alien from 1970s. Mm-hmm. That movie scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, but I think it's one of the best horror slash sci-fi movies ever made. 
and still looks good considering oh, yeah. he made him. Was it 76? Yeah, uh, 76 or 77, yeah. Uh, beautiful movie, beautifully shot um, and scary, man, scary movie. Very, yeah. Uh, UFO related is uh, number one on my list. I'm going to say Close Encounters of the Third Kind because if you go back and watch it today, it's so relevant, man. There are so many things, and not to mention that there are theories that say that the movie is actually based on true events. Yep. yep. So you take that into, in, into uh, account and the fact that it was way ahead of its time, that movie is just brilliant. Um, so that's my picks. Then for, what do you think about Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Have you seen it? Yeah, I mean, not for years. Um, I done a poll on my own Twitter recently asking people, and that ran away as a clear winner. I was really surprised, like how much. But um, I think it's one of those that, just from where I was born in '86, uh, I probably don't appreciate it as much as some. Although, I'd absolutely, it's something I maybe should go back and watch. Like you say, there's very, very strong rumors that a lot of Hollywood and the the movies such like such as that and E.T. and whatnot are, are put in as a way of kind of preparing a society for, you know, these things might exist and this might be what happens. And, you know, we're kind of hoping for a close encounters more than an Independence Day. <laughs> Definitely. The next question comes from Jack Porteous at JP Scrawlings on Twitter. And his question is, and this is a great question, by the way. If it was revealed that aliens do indeed exist, do you think this would more likely be a moment of enlightenment for mankind or a disastrous mistake? Uh, right now, both. Both. And he, yeah. he, he continues uh, uh, a little bit more in depth on his question. Mm -hmm. But he basically says humanity's collective beliefs would be turned on their heads. And we know that partially. Uh, but he wonders, uh, could that be a dangerous thing? Are we best kept in the dark? The Earth's a pretty um, messed up planet, as it is anyway. And when you look across the world at all the, the stuff going on, um, got even like before January of this year, I mean, who'd have thought the way things have, have went? Um, you've got millions of people across the planet still starving don't have clothing um you've got wars still going on that if you're a really advanced civilization looking down and why would you even bother you know because why why can't people just get along i look at some of the places that are, people are fighting over areas of desert in the world still and saying there's not enough space for people to live and for me there seems like there's a lot of places for people to live so um religious beliefs particularly i think are ca cause a lot of the problems again there was a, a terror related incident in the uk today um or yesterday sorry where someone has basically in a crowd of people walked up and stabbed three people in the throat in the name of religion and have died uh that's just crazy and unthinkable but that's still the way we are just now and it's so backwards and stone age and yeah um so I just think it, it it wouldn't if aliens did come down the idea that everyone all of a sudden would be united like if it was a, um, Ronald Reagan once said in his his speech to the United Nations 
that humanity would be united in a collective effort if we were faced with an outside threat. I just don't think we would be. Um, so there's an element of I think some people are just best left to still evolve or, you know, let natural selection take its place over the course of time. But then there's other people, I think, like myself and maybe like yourself, Andrew, that you're, you kind of want to know. And for me, it's I don't think it's a case of that the world just goes on as it is if we find out what this phenomenon is. A phenomenon is. I think at that point, things then have to change and there would have to be developments and life life as we know it would, would drastically change. I mean, look, a very small virus has just changed the world very quickly. At one point, there was no toilet paper left in the shops. So people react very strangely. Um, so, yeah. Well, good answer. Good. I appreciate you answering that. Um, I, hope, I hope that wasn't too all over the place, Jack. It was a good question. But yeah, I think it's... I could kind of ramble on about that. Very good while, question. So. And and he's from the UK as well, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, I think he's up. And well, in my mind, everybody's neighbors. <laughs> so so yeah, he's not, he's probably close, not yeah. too far from you. But he's a good guy. He's a writer. Well, as we speak, I am hitting follow on Jack on Twitter. So awesome. Jack, you've just got our request off us. Awesome. Um, so... I think that's just about right. Well, before I do that, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we didn't cover? Uh, God, I could go on for hours, not without uh, taking up another couple of hours of your time. So, but I think there's definitely a lot more we can go on about in the future. But for me, no, it's the, the questions have been great. And it's, I appreciate people, anyone who is still listening at this point in the show of, of uh, taking the time out of their, their daily lives to listen to my opinion on a few different things. So I just hope it's objective and, yeah, it's, people can make up their own minds. I think the beauty of ufology for me is that genuinely no one on this planet knows 100% what's going on. So there's so much room for debate and conversation and opinion. And it's just how that kind of gets put out there can be the issue sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, anybody who's still listening, thank you so much for that. But if you're skeptical of this topic and well, if if it just doesn't serve any purpose to you at all, that's understandable. No worries. But if there's a, an inkling of interest, don't be afraid to dig into it because there is definitely something there. The phenomena is real. Plenty of serious people, credible people have come out and agree that this phenomena is real and it's worthy of your attention. So please, by all means, go dig into the topic, learn educate yourself on it because it's a fascinating, fascinating topic altogether. And um, so Andy, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us, but before, no, thank you. Before we end it, I want to give people an opportunity to to catch up with you, Twitter, Facebook, uh, personal website, anything that people can get in touch with you. Yeah. um, That'd be great. I I love, conversing with people um particularly these days on twitter so if you follow me at ufo uap am that's uh, ufo uap as an unidentified aerial phenomena and am's my initials alpha mike um that's on twitter so i'm on there all the time the podcast is that ufo podcast you can access it whenever podcasts are available um i do have a a patreon site which is very basic but i do have some early access podcasts i put on there where I'm not only talking about UFOs, but um, Skinwalker Ranch, 
me and one of my, my friends from Twitter, Dan, who you could follow at The Signal. We talk about Skinwalker Ranch and do walk, uh, watch along episodes as well. So again, just that UFO podcast and it's on Facebook as well. Um, but m- mainly for me, it's Twitter and I love conversing with people. I love the, the feedback I've got. Like I kind of said to you, Andrew, but kind of talking to you privately and whatnot, I, I am literally a guy with a microphone, a laptop and a small shed I'm recording in as a bit of a hobby. And uh, it's amazing in seven weeks what's kind of happened with the podcast and getting to speak with people like yourself on your show now is uh, is amazing for me. So please uh, keep the questions coming and I look forward to kind of talking to you again and your audience. Absolutely. And I do hope we get to do this again because I still have a ton of questions that I'd like to hit you with. I, I just want to respect your time. We've already been close to two hours and you know it's it's getting late in your neck of the woods we will definitely arrange a part two in the near future i promise awesome all right then andy i think uh that'll do it we'll wrap it up i'll let you go awesome no thank you andrew it was it was great Thanks for sticking around. As promised, I have a UFO case to share with you that took place at a nuclear missile base during a time of extreme tension between the U.S. and Soviet Union. Before I get into that case, I have an announcement. I'm titling this segment, Tales of the Cold War, and it will be an ongoing series as part of this podcast. It will focus on Cold War issues and is almost like an episode within an episode. As the podcast evolves, more changes like this will likely be added. When I started DHR, my intention was to not only bring on guests for interviews, but also to conduct solo episodes in which I explore a specific Cold War-related incident or technology, but I enjoy doing the interviews so much I haven't had time to do any solo episodes, so maybe this is a good solution. The great thing about it is you get more content in each episode, I get to share content that's really interesting to me and deliver full-length episodes to you on a regular basis. By the way, if you enjoy this new segment, or even if you don't, please let me know. It's tough to get a read on what works and what doesn't unless I get some feedback. Don't be afraid to hurt my feelings, just don't be cruel about it. Your questions, comments, and suggestions are more helpful to me than you can imagine. And now, Tales from the Cold War. The Malmstrom Air Force Base Nuclear Missile UFO Incident March 1967 Malmstrom Air Force Base, Central Montana, near Great Falls Malmstrom is one of many nuclear bases positioned throughout the northern Midwest United States. This was a time of extreme tension between the U.S. and the former Soviet Union. This was the Cold War. The U.S. was in a shooting war with Vietnam, and Malmstrom had a total of 150 Minutemen nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, at the ready. Their mission was clear, maintain a state of constant readiness in the event of nuclear war with the Soviets. The following event was reported by multiple active-duty military personnel, including Captain Robert L. Solis, who later wrote a detailed account of the incident in his book, Faded Giant. The event is also mentioned in FOIA documents later released by the U.S. Air Force. According to Captain Solace, he and his commander were inside the launch facility the morning of March 24, 1967, 
when he received a call from security personnel at the launch facility, who notified him that an unknown craft was hovering above the launch complex just outside the gate. Salas dismissed the report, but five minutes later his security detail called again, this time in a panic. The guard said that there was a glowing red object hovering above the front gate. It gave off a reddish pulsating light, oval-shaped. He and his fellow guards were terrified and had weapons ready. They were asking for orders, and all Salas could do was tell them to make sure nothing entered the gated area, and he hung up the phone. Just as he was about to tell his commander about the report, the missiles started shutting down. More precisely, they were rendered no-go, which means they were not capable of being launched. Sometime later, Salas learned that the missiles would require almost a full day to bring them back online. He also found out that this was not an isolated incident. A similar event had occurred at a different launch complex in the area. It should also be noted that there were multiple sightings of UFOs reported near the base by civilian and law enforcement witnesses prior to the March 24th incident. Captain Solace also mentions in his book that much later he learned about yet another nearly identical incident that occurred in Great Falls, Montana in the spring of 1966, which resulted in the complete shutdown of all 10 nuclear weapons at that location as well. This is a fascinating incident and I'm just scratching the surface of the implications of this case and the magnitude of the alleged cover-up that followed. Captain Solace says that these incidents are not the only times that UFOs have been present during complete shutdowns of multiple nuclear weapons. The number of incidents is quite alarming and Solace believes these are warnings for humanity to end their quest for domination of the world through the use of nuclear weapons. That's it for this bonus episode of Tales from the Cold War. Like I said, if you like this additional segment, or even if you don't, let me know what you think. And if you'd like to come on the show to talk about it, keep listening to find out how. Dead Hand Radio is a podcast about the Cold War and its effects on our culture, technology, and the future. So join me, and together we'll explore this fascinating period of history and examine the incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science, art, and culture, and discuss how all of it relates to the future of our world. My goal is to explore these topics with the audience, to learn, to educate, to entertain, and exchange ideas with those interested. If you or someone you know has knowledge about the Cold War or any other topics we discuss on this program, please get in touch and let's talk. It could be a great conversation for a future episode, and I'm especially interested to talk with anyone who has first-hand knowledge about these programs. Likewise, if you have any questions or comments to help improve the show, drop me an email, deadhandradio at gmail.com, hit me on Twitter at deadhandradio, or leave me a voice message that may be included in an upcoming episode. Dead Hand Radio is part of the Slightly Irregular Podcast Network, a group of high-energy, positive-minded individuals providing a resource where listeners can get easy access to a wealth of entertainment, education, and positive input for your daily routine. Check out sipnet.us 
for more info and listen to all these great shows. You've been listening to Dead Hand Radio. This is Andrew Hall signing off.